What's cracking, lovely people? Big Feed Up HQ podcasts. We're back in the mix. I've got a friend called Chris Shirley here on the show today, and it's going to be a really good episode because uh, he's a super experienced individual. Yeah, can't even talk. Individual in the outdoors. I know a lot of you that listen love to run, uh, love to cycle. There's more of this kind of challenge mentality kind of breeding out there at the moment, people doing a lot of, of running and cycling for charity and um, just general health and fitness. So I met Chris as part of like a running project and then, yeah, we, we try and stay in touch. I read some of the things that he does and, and I've managed to get him for 20 minutes or so today. So, mate, I suppose the best thing to do, because obviously you've done so many things, is maybe just introduce yourself and then, you know, speak about some of the, some of the things you've been doing and that you've enjoyed over the last 12 months. great place to start so now you're back what was the yeah what's the what's the kind of aftermath physically so so from going for you know training and getting into the marines operating in there and then obviously you're out now working for a charity keeping fit to do these challenges but then you know with the rowing and doing that for so long how how did your body adapt and how did you finish it physically and you know what what are you working on now Um, due to losing all that conditioning on, on three months of being uh, on an eight and a 
half a meter uh, open road, ocean water road. Yeah, but then I suppose obviously as as the time went as the time went on, you kind of greased the groove, and then it and then it became you know something like that is obviously ridiculously tough physically, but then you be, you must have become very efficient with that movement and then you kind of did you did you guys try to get into a bit of a you know how did you I suppose how did you pull it apart was there a routine did you guys eat and sleep like clockwork did you did you learn you know right I know I'm going to be pulling this amount of strokes per hour like how do you how did you kind of break such a a massive challenge like that down um so you so the way the way that you run ocean is uh we have five people with us you break it down into two shifts um, so you've got like an on shift and an off shift uh, and every two hours you'll swap over so the shift of two or three people that was on will then go on to rest for two hours uh, and you'll do that 24 hours a day what this means for the human body is that you've got to uh, adopt a, a sleeping technique which is similar to, to um, ocean sailors as well um, and that's basically sleeping for, sleeping for an hour or two in your off shift and then go back to work for two, you know, back to work for two hours where you're, where you're pulling on the oars. Uh, then you go back and have some food, um, do some repairs on the boat and then obviously have some sleep. And so it's, you, you end up with this, um, rather than like the normal circadian rhythms of like getting eight hours sleep, mm. uh, you end up obviously sort of getting um, maybe 10 hours sleep that's snatched in like hour 90 minute chunks which is, is incredibly taxing for the first few days because you, you feel like you're just constantly sleep deprived or, or like verging on drunk and then the, then, it, then the body sort of adopts it properly and uh, it becomes a whole lot easier. Um, but when you, we, we had to stop twice throughout the, the road uh, in Lanzarote and Cape Verde and every time we stopped going back into a normal sleeping routine was nice at first but then jumping back into the, uh, the polyphasic sleep routine, i.e. where you're getting uh, an hour to 90 minutes, sort of 10 times a day, um, was a lot harder, uh, you know, over the sort of the three-month challenge. Mm. So what did you call that, polyphasic, did you say? Yeah, so poly- polyphasic as opposed to monophasic, which is obviously one big chunk of sleep, which we, you know, we should traditionally do, which our bodies have, have learned to do from, you know, back in the caveman days where... At night, it was you know you conserve your energy, and then during the daytime you can go out and hunt. Whereas now uh, you're basically teaching your body to sleep in daylight hours, so that you can jump on on and off shift every uh, every two hours. Yeah, yeah, man, it was interesting. Like the sleep research, there's a really good podcast. The chap called Matthew Walker was on a podcast that I follow called the Joe Rogan Experience, and he. He was a neuro, he was a neuroscientist and it was just um, yeah it's definitely an area that especially just working with regular individuals in terms of their nutrition and their health it's something that I'd always have a quick chat about to be like how many hours of sleep you're getting it's pretty useful and then now I'm kind of realising that actually in my consultations and with people I work with it's it's probably the first thing I ask about because like you said there it was just you know, it was, it was you, you, you almost in like a drunk state, you, you know, your concentration, your kind of output probably on the boat and everything like that must have just absolutely plummeted. And then obviously you adapt because that's what we do as humans. But it's um, it's good for people to hear how, you know, how much of a struggle that is because people obviously crack their own and usually give sleep the first knock on the head to try to do other things when actually... Yeah. 
when actually, as you know now, you know, if you're getting a decent, a decent, um, you know, circadian rhythm is, is normal or whatever normal is for most people. And, and, you know, your, I would say your concentration, your recovery, your, your, your general health is going to be like, oh, so much better. So, wow, that's interesting. So what did you do? Um, I suppose if we stay on that topic, did you, I suppose you, you got some sleep and then you, and then you tried to refuel and again it was just um, intermittent little bits or did you have like right okay if I know I'm going to have these two hour blocks every little while I'm not going to eat in every two hour block or did you kind of start to break up your nutrition or how, like how, what were your eating windows during the day? basically Chris obviously got education in terms of if if his heart rate is at, a, is at a certain level then he knows that he'll be potentially using more body fat or fat as fuel compared to you know carbohydrates so he'll be he'll be extracting you know fat out into the muscles to then burn whereas most people if they're exercising at like high intensity you know their heart rates are higher than I don't know let's just say 170 180 190 whatever it is you know they'll be pulling sugars carbohydrates out of their muscles and their liver but then because he's ticking along on the boat you know you're you're using your kind of fuel partitioning is 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 predominantly more fat so yeah that's a real challenge and especially with just eating to maintenance mate with that kind of regime is 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 a huge challenge so it's that the two t's of, of nutrition isn't it it's that total you were trying to get in but then not slip into the the type 
of food where like you said it's just it's just more carbohydrate sugary because it's there and it's easy and obviously they those kind of packaged foods alongside your rations can last for longer as well aren't they so it's um yeah that's interesting so it is discipline really isn't it if you're trying to meet your energy needs but then you're being disciplined about the type of food that you're taking in because three months is you know it's, it's a while it's not like you've crashed it over four to six weeks and you can and you can potentially change your nutrition quite a lot and then you hope your body can change back over you know three months is 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 is, is a is a longer form yeah totally um and, and then you throw another issue as well that you get you get many fatigue uh, because these because there's only a certain amount of foods that can be freeze-dried you end up with only a small selection of say seven to ten different menu varieties which sounds sounds fine you know seven different meals sounds a lot but you imagine that if you're eating four a day uh over three months you end up eating like the same meal like i don't know 40 times in the uh you know in the space of a few weeks and it's become it becomes very samey you know i think we had a uh, I think chicken burrito by the end of it was like the thing which I could eat four times a day and, and not really think anything less of. Another extra issue there for um, for kind of expedition nutrition management. That that is the thing, isn't it? And it's like um, I, you know, I've been, I've been training like nothing, the kind of stuff you do, but then I'm training for this this run out in Italy, and it's one of those things where when you are eating things and, and you're doing it over a certain amount of hours yeah you try and pick things that meet the nutritional criteria but then also when you're eating it or or tasting it or mouth swilling or whatever you're doing like you said you don't it doesn't turn into that dull flavor or it doesn't put you off because then you think your, your watch might buzz or you might you you might know that it's a feeding window and then you kind of sack it off because you're like oh i can't take this flavor again or i don't want this again so it's yeah, the palate, the palate fatigue is an interesting one. It's probably with most people that don't do these kind of things or, you know, are, are attempting to then maybe do some stuff more in the outdoors. They probably haven't experienced that, but then it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Whereas um, a lot of people that eat and drink what they want when they want, it's, it's, it's that other side of things, isn't it? They're never, they're, they're constantly just trying different flavours and, and, and they're just never getting full, whereas you were very restricted and it was, and it was, it was a tough task. Yeah, I think the military prepared me quite well for it as well, uh, because um, certainly going back 10 years ago, when I first joined, um, like the, the, the rations were very simple, um, and you just you get many fatigue really quickly, so it teaches you to take out loads of different spices and, and herbs to, you know, kind of flavour it up and just give it a slightly different taste each time, um, which we did on the boat. Um, but I think if you don't come from that kind of background, you'll be learning all these things you know, whilst you're on the expedition or whilst you're on the training camps and, and it's good to have this stuff, um, you know, understood before you set off on big expeditions. So mm. you know, that's, what, that's where your training comes in, really important. Mm. I mean, what was, out of that whole experience, what was one of the most unexpected things? Because obviously it's easy to... To, to, to speak about how hard it was and, 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 and you know, it's when the sense of achievement is fantastic as well. But what, what I don't know, what did you get out of it that, that was a bit unexpected? Um, so I think for the first the first three weeks, uh, no, sorry, for the first two week and a half, two weeks, um, you're chatting and you know because you're still getting you you're still getting to know the rest of the team. You've got interesting things you can talk about. Um, but then about the ten day point, you run out of things to say, and so you switch over to music, and then maybe music keeps you entertained for around about 
a further two weeks. And then from there, I just, I just stopped listening to music and, and we all stopped talking, not, not in like a, a kind of nasty way, we all just stopped talking because it was almost like the, the, the solitude brought about an opportunity where you could actually do a lot of like deep reflecting um, because two hours, you'd be, it's quite, actually quite cathartic where you're just sat there pulling on the oars and if the sea's reasonably calm as well, actually, you can, you can find yourself drifting away into like random thoughts which you've been, you know, you haven't ever sort of really confronted or you put to the back of your mind for years on end. It's, it's, it's really strange what the brain will throw up, um, you know, for you to think about at the most opportune times. Mm. Um, I remember some, some really bizarre thoughts coming into my head. Uh, you know, especially in the dark hours where I think the brain is just, you just kind of end up in this weird, like, lucid dream where you can see um, the, 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 like, the sky and the Milky Way and the stars and like, that full, full spectrum of colour. Um, uh, it must, be, it must uh, awaken part of the brain which is fairly dormant in, um, you know, in urban environments because, uh, yeah, you get some really strange thoughts like popping into your head, you know, like, like really... Um, suppress like childhood memories where you're like, oh yeah, I remember that, I remember that happening now, and it's I've not thought about it for you know for a good decade or so. Mm. That's interesting. It's like those things where you can go to, I suppose it's different, but it's the silent retreats or when you go somewhere and, and you know you're not allowed to speak for a certain amount of time or you're in a facility where everyone's quiet. And then again, yeah, it's like all self-reflection. That's, I wasn't expecting you to say that. To be fair, that's 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 really interesting. I know we're, quite, we're both quite short of time, and it was, it's good to, to to get together. And you know, if it goes well, we can always we can always grab something again, and and especially up to one of your next um, races. But yeah, this this half marathon that you're doing in uh, in Snowdon, what uh, like what have you what have you kind of done to to kind of prepare for that? After obviously you've you've um, you've been rowing for three months, you've needed to give your body a bit of a rest. Have you? Did you start kind of running where you were, um, starting to put a bit of time on the feet, and then you've closer to the race, you know, potentially started to get on some of the terrain that you're going to be running on, and and again trying out some of the nutrition, and because obviously you're very experienced, but then it must have been an interesting situation for you to have to take a few steps back. Yeah, totally. Yeah, the so last year I did my longest ever run was a triple marathon. Um, which I did at the did at the London Marathon, and um, you know I put I put in a lot of time to condition myself properly for that. And so when I came back from the row, I thought I could just dive straight back into the marathon again. And it, it was a little bit of you know bullishness. So, you know I think that kind of like military mentality of um, thinking that you can you know you can take on anything. Um, I I tried to go for a really long run and just like my, my legs were just screaming at me and, I, and that's when I first realised that actually I needed to uh, do some proper proper conditioning before taking on um, another big race again so one of the things I want to do as, as part of a bigger 
challenges to run four marathons at the end of this year um, as, a, as a fundraiser. But I know that I'm going to have to I'm going to have to spend a lot of months uh, you know, tapering up the conditioning so that I don't give myself an injury. Because if I'm I'm just going straight out and trying to run a marathon now, I think I'll, I'll probably put myself out of action for you know, a week or so. Um, so building up that conditioning is for me one of the hardest mental battles because I just, my, my brain thinks that I can just go out there and run it and my body is saying actually no you need to do this properly you can't just cuff this mm. Mm. no it is it's putting the time in isn't it it's simple but having to build yourself back up and being smart about it because obviously you're someone that wants to to do these kind of things and challenges for a long time you want to you want to meet people you want to raise money you want to you know push your body and People can people can find out about everything that you're doing over on your um, your blog and your journal, can't they? So, yeah, I suppose maybe to as 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 we wrap this up, it'd be good to hear a bit about that. So you you tend to write, you take you take some profound photos as well. So how did that how did that come about? I suppose, mate. I don't know if I've asked you what. How did you first start it? Like I know you you seek different different situations and people, and now you you it's very much second nature to to kind of look to accumulate all this content and interesting experience. But how did you first get into creating the site and, and going from there? Um, so I studied graphic design at university and part of that was also uh, like a photography element as well. So like design, creativity, photography has always been something I've had a huge passion for. Uh, but as a youngster, <clears throat> I wanted to get, I wanted to do something with a little more purpose. Um, so I wanted something that would, um, you know, challenge me, would scare me, frustrate me, but then also excite me as well. So I joined the, I joined the military um, after quitting in my last, in my degree year of university, uh, studying graphic design. Uh, and then kind of about 10 years into my military career, I started to get this kind of feeling that I wanted to be more creative. I wanted to do more things which would... Um, show a side of the world that not many people get to see, but do it creatively. Um, so I I went out and bought uh, a second-hand camera body um, and a couple of lenses, and then when I, whenever I was going anywhere, I just take my camera with me and just and just you know take photos at, at you know opportune moments where I could capture um, like almost like the essence of life. Sounds like a, a quite glib comment, but. Um, you know, like places like last year, I was, I was in Mosul during the uh, the offensive by the Iraqi forces to clear out ISIS. Uh, I, I went to the Caribbean to help out in the Hurricane Irma response. Uh, I used to get to the Philippines and do some do some project work in a a, a post um, typhoon environment. And, and every, you know, all these places I went to, I was like, well, there's, there's a lot of people from my own community who haven't seen this side of the world that I've got to see. So. You know, be churlish of me not to, to take photos and then share with people. Um, and so it's a, it's a passion project to wherever I go anywhere to take my camera uh, and just and just kind of reflect it, reflect on the experiences, and then add the photos to it as well. So you end up with you know something that's, that's very cathartic for me to write. Um, it shows my own sort of understanding of the world, my own learning, but also people that I meet throughout my own life. Um, it kind of almost documents my own uh, development, you know, my, my own um, learning of, you know, where I'm going in, in this world. And so it's, yeah, it's a passion project for, for other people more than myself. Mm. And it was good before, before we press record, 
like you we were having a bit of a chat about about things and and you know you said something great about how because i'm just over 10 episodes in in the podcast very early and then obviously people have just heard about how you started this journal and the content and you were kind of just like um the first thing to do is actually just do it isn't it because we we meet a lot of people and speak to a lot of people about ideas and being creative but then to be fair when i when i, when I first met you you are someone that just cracks on which is you know which is good and you know we all make mistakes and and um you know you kind of you you, you seem to be pretty more robust than most but mate it's, it's good for people to kind of hear that actually you know these these fantastic sites and photos and when everything looks really slick like it takes it takes time but you did really start from from nothing really you probably just what created your website and then started learning how to you know how to I suppose convey convey your experiences and as you wrote more you you kind of got more involved in that became more descriptive started building an audience like how did you find yeah I suppose how did you find the responses when people actually started reaching out to say oh look I'm reading this or I love your photos or things like that was that was that unexpected yeah it was yeah there's there's um so I'm a big big fan of podcasts um and one of the things which I'm starting to get a bit more aware of at the moment is something called design thinking, which is essentially uh, you create something which is the minimum viable product and you, you get it out there and then you just take the feedback and you iterate your product into something which, you know, in time becomes, you know, becomes incredibly good. And this is, this is you know, the antithesis to traditional Western beliefs on, you know, on design and, and, and development, which would say... Um, you come up with a perfect product, wait until you know it's, it's absolutely 100 percent there, and there's appetite for it, and then you release it. Um, this this other theory says just get something out there, see what people say, and then make changes very rapidly. And mm. um, so yeah, so when I, when I realised that I wanted to do something more creative and, and share, you know, the the, the parts of the world which I've been to, which no, you know, which I know other other people don't have access to uh, because of their conflict zones or their disaster zones um yeah i just i, I um, registered a, a site on squarespace uh, and just started uploading photos and, and from there it, you know the gallery turned into um a journey you know a blog um my writing at the, my writing at the start was pretty was pretty average you know it, it was uh, it was long as it laborious, it's a bit boring, you know, I don't, I don't think people really were interested in it. Uh, I started to get messages from the ex-military community who actually really got on board with me writing about how stressful it was leaving the military after 12 years. Um, a lot of people saying that actually it helped their own tra- uh, transition to hear about someone else's struggle. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, so it just became a, a, a labour of love to, um, you know, write about these different corners of the world that I was visiting. Uh, you know, along with the, the photos, and slowly over time, it, it sort of develops. And um, now, now what? Almost two years on, um, I've got ideas to start my own charity around. You know, from from where this sprang up. Um, I work with uh, athletes in Afghanistan. Um, you know, I, I went over there last year to basically have curiosity to go and meet some mountain bikers and wound up meeting the national ski teams, runners, free runners, mm. rugby players, and, and you know all these athletes in Afghanistan. Uh, and now, now I work with them to help uh, strengthen their own social media, you know, their, their own platforms, their own engagement. 
um, because they're, you know, they, they put out a really positive message out to the rest of the world. So, um, what I, what I, the advice I would, would give is that, you know, just starting actually will, is the best thing you can do because you then get instant feedback and then you can make changes as you go along. You know, waiting waiting for something is perfect is probably too late. You know, because you're you're someone else will have the idea or they'll put it out there faster, you know, you know before you. To be fair, one of my favourite pictures that you've taken is one of the free runners, and he's kind of like I don't know if it's a backflip or a side flip or he'd gone off the wall oh, or yeah. something. But that that I'll always remember when I saw that and you were out there, and I was just thinking, um, you know, that that is just epitomises what you do because it's just like you said, it's in an environment where most people don't go, but then you've managed to find some kind of you know, unexpected group of people or something like that, and then you've captured just this athleticism, and and it's not you know your standard kind of sports like you said football or something like that that you'd think that a lot of those places might still adopt, and you just got people cracking around the you know some of these cities and just doing flips and stuff. So I definitely recommend people going um, and check that photo out. It's probably probably my favourite one actually. Um, <laughs> May definitely let let everyone know, let all the listeners know how they can follow you, um, what you're doing over the next little while, and um, yeah, everything in terms of you know your website, Instagram, Twitter. I'll obviously link to everything in the bio of the episode. Um, but mate, it's been it's been mega to have you on, dude. Cheers. Good luck with the marathon, mate, and we'll um, we'll speak sooner. Hopefully, if, if people if people want to hear more, I can get you back on. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'll be uh, I'll be back in London fairly soon for some more uh, North Face training as well. Oh, mate, decent. I've been here for way too long. <laughs> oh, 